You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. Hey, all right. Some of you guys are awake. My name is Ricky. It's my privilege to be able to preach this morning and be with you all. If this is your first time to Grace, welcome. I am really glad that you are here. Let me invite you to come back next week so you could hear Pastor Brad, our teaching pastor, our teaching elder, hear him preach. But I am glad that you're here this morning to worship with us. Well, I have a twin brother, many of you know. And growing up, my twin brother and I would spend many weekends with family. We were always with aunts, uncles, grandparents. If you ever met my dad, you would realize quickly my dad doesn't say much. Um, and that's okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, my grandfather wasn't much different. He, he didn't say too much as well. But when my brother and I would go stay the weekend, we would milk our uncles for all the stories we could get. Because we didn't hear them otherwise. Tell us about our dad growing up. What, what, what did he do? You know, tell us funny stories. We would learn a lot about our family whenever we would go and we would hear these stories from our uncles. And they were the best. I can remember many of them today. And we would ask him to tell the same ones over and over again. And, you know, one story will lead to the next story. And some of the best stories are stories that are within a story. We have some really good storytellers in our church as well. And I love to listen. I love to listen a lot more than I love to talk, uh, to be honest. And I love to listen to these stories. And you know those stories within a story where you're listening, and then before you know it, you've taken a sidetrack, and you're on to another story that had to do with the first story that wasn't yet finished, but you just kind of go, go along for the ride, hoping that eventually it's going to come full circle. For most people, it does, but not for everyone. But if you're along for the ride, that's okay. Today's text is kind of like that. John chapter 4. We're going to see today there is a story within a story. The Apostle John, he wrote the Gospel of John so that those of us today who hear, those of us then who heard, for those of us today who read his Gospel, that we will believe. That's why he wrote the Gospel of John. When we get to John chapter 4, we see in verse 3 that Jesus, he's on his way to somewhere. He's left Judea, and we see that Jesus is headed, he headed toward Galilee. But if you look on down, verse 43, you see that Jesus once again, after two days, he has departed for Galilee. So what happens between verses 4 and 42? Well, it's a, it's a story within a story. This is a very important story, one that John has recorded for us, because in this story, Jesus taught his disciples and us a very important truth. The truth is that the fields are white for harvest. He wanted his disciples to know, John wants us to know that the fields are white for harvest. Well, this morning, because of the, the length of this text, it's 45 verses, I'm going to ask you to remain seated, and I'm not going to make you stand, and we're not going to read all 45 verses and then work our way back through all 45 verses. Um, however, there is something really good about hearing an account read all at one time. Uh, my brother and I, many times we would stop our uncles and say, well, wait, wait, we would ask clarifications and ask questions. They say that part again. But you learn sometimes it's just best to sit, let them go, and enjoy the story. So we're going to do that in home group this week. We're not going to read it all together once this morning, but home group this week, I hope you enjoy reading all 45 verses together and capturing the story as a whole. 
You'll see as we work our way through the 45 verses this morning, no doubt there could be many sermons in this passage. And my goal is to not preach many sermons to you in this morning's message. But my hope is that you see this narrative as a whole, as John wrote it, as he gave it to us, that we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Lord is telling us through this passage. But before we begin, let me pray for us. Father, be with us, we pray. Be with us as we open your word this morning. Lord, let your presence be felt. Lord, let it be effective. Let it be effective for change in our lives. Change that is for your glory, and we know it'll be for our good. Father, we ask that you comfort us where needed. We ask that you convict us where needed. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Well, I grew up in Alabama in a small town, and the small town was right next to an interstate. So I grew up on the interstate. It was common multiple times a week we were on the interstate running somewhere. In a small town, if you needed something our town didn't have, you hopped on the interstate, you headed toward Birmingham, and you'd be able to find what you want eventually. And then you hop on the interstate, you head back home. And coming back home, there were always two different exits we could take to get back to our house. The first exit, it was a a bit longer route. It was kind of the scenic route. But the second exit, it was the most direct route. But the second exit, you had to go straight through town. The problem with going straight through town is then you had to deal with all the people that were in town. So many times we would, we would avoid that second exit. We would take the longer way. Jesus, he could have done what many Jews in his day would have done. Whenever he was traveling from Judea to Galilee, he could have taken the long way. If you can see that, the idea is for you to just see where Judea and Samaria is. If you can read the small print, that's bonus. But you see, he... To take the long way would have gone around over to the Jordan River and would have had to go up and then back in towards Samaria from Judea. Or you can take the direct route, which is the route Jesus took, if you could see the red line, which goes straight up through the middle. But he would then have to deal with the people. But many Jews in Jesus' day, they wouldn't have done that because the route directly from Judea to Galilee would lead straight through the region of Samaria, which of course... That region was full of Samaritans. There's quite a history here. There's a lot of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. Because way back when, in 8th century BC, you may have heard of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, they came in and they captured Northern Kingdom, like the area around Samaria. And when they captured the Northern Kingdom, they exiled all the people out. So they went in, they took them, they pulled them out. And then they took people from other parts of the Assyrian Empire and they sent them there. Just kind of mixed everybody up. Well, of course, you had some people who were left there who never went. So you had some people left from the old days of the northern kingdom of Israel. And what did they do with those who had been brought in? Well, eventually they intermarried. This made them be thought of as half-breeds. So these are the Samaritans, people who have intermarried with people from other parts of the empire. How many times might we want to avoid people We don't want to deal with because they aren't like us. Clearly, Jesus, he's, we read from the very beginning, he is making an effort to avoid unnecessary trouble. I mean, he's leaving Judea, uh, but in his sovereign plan, 
and which would require avoiding some people, whenever he left, there is a time to flee. But Jesus also knew that there were people between where he was and where he was going who needed to meet him. Jesus didn't go around. He didn't avoid the people. Instead, Jesus went directly to the people. But how many times might you and I avoid people who don't know Jesus because we just don't want to deal with them? Not Jesus. Jesus, instead, he goes to the people who he knows needs him. Jesus, he goes to those people even though he knows that they are the social outcast. Praise God that Jesus engages outcast. I'm thankful that Jesus engages outcast, and neither should we avoid the socially outcast as we might see them. Who in your life you know, as far as you're aware, does not know Jesus, yet you avoid interacting with them for one reason or another? This is something to think about as we think about our neighbors, as we think about our schools, as we think about our careers, as we think about our lives. It could go on and on. Jesus, he was intentional in going to the socially outcast. How about us? Are we more intentional avoiding the outcast than we are going to them? I know that can be said about me. Verse 5. He came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Well, what we believe to be Jacob's well today, here's a picture of Jacob's well. It is just accepted that this is his well. So as far as we know, this is the well that is referred to as Jacob's well that he dug. Uh, Not too far away from here, you'll find what is believed to be Joseph's uh, tomb or Joseph's uh, bones are. And this well right here is dug at over 100 feet deep and still today provides fresh water from a stream that's underground. So this is what it might have looked back then. Right here, that's an actual picture. Um, no, that's not an actual picture. <laughs> wasn't recorded. But I, could, I saw many different pictures. This one was my favorite, so we don't know what it looked like. But I would love to be sitting there under that tree. I love, though, that we see the humanity of Jesus in this passage. Jesus, he's weary from his journey. Jesus, he needs to sit down and rest. Jesus, he's hoping for a cold drink of water. He stops by the sixth hour of the day, which is believed by most to be midday, so about noon. So here we are, noon, the sun is high, Jesus is sitting. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. I love the little commentary John gives us here so that we have the context. Now, not only does Jesus go to the Samaritans, Jesus doesn't avoid the outcasts. He doesn't take the long way around, but Jesus goes directly to the people who need to meet him. Jesus goes against the social norms of the day. I mean, for a Jew to be having a conversation with a Samaritan would have been taboo, but for a Jew to be speaking to a woman, that would be downright scandalous. And here we are, Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. A Jewish rabbi would have rather thirsted death than to violate such social norms, but not Jesus. Thankfully, he doesn't play by our rules. 
I'll never forget, there was a guy named Kerry Baker. Kerry, he's now a bivocational uh, pastor in Birmingham. And uh, Kerry is one of the reasons that one of my kids name is Carrie, all right? One of the reasons. Uh, Carrie was a high school senior my first year of youth group. So I was in sixth grade, and I imagine it's still the same today as it was back then. It's just not cool for high schoolers, especially seniors, to hang out with sixth graders. But there was Carrie. And Carrie, he was the most popular kid in our youth group. I wasn't in high school, but I find it hard to believe that he wasn't one of the most popular kids in high school. Carrie was a leader And Carrie, he always made sure that everyone knew that they belonged, even if they were in sixth grade. Carrie, he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. So breaking social norms, that was the norm for him. That's what Jesus seems to do. There were no barriers whenever it came to people for Carrie. No. Carrie, he would give me rides whenever I needed them. He coached my sixth grade basketball team. He would pray for me. He included me. I can't tell you the difference Carrie made in my life. No telling the difference he has made in other people's lives because his love for Jesus propelled him to love people more than he loved himself and to care more for others than to care about what they thought of him. Man, Carrie loved like Jesus. He pursued the outcast. He didn't look at my dated clothes. He didn't look at my low level of education being in sixth grade. He didn't look at my young age. He didn't look at my awkwardness. No, Carrie, he showed me Jesus. And Jesus, he didn't let this woman's social status, he didn't let her race, he didn't let her gender, he didn't let her questionable reputation keep him from pursuing her. No, he didn't. And what was the woman's response? She was shocked. Look at verse 10. Well, Jesus answered her. He said, well, if you knew the gift of God, then who it is that's speaking to you excuse me, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I love Jesus' response. It's like Jesus is saying, oh, you're shocked that I'm talking with you, a Samaritan woman. Well, just wait till you find out who I really am. Like, this is really going to blow your mind then. If you, if you only knew, and she's going to learn. Well, the woman said to him, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his, his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Clearly, this woman, she's not getting the point here. She's not getting the point that Jesus is making. She's like, "Uh, you say you can give me water, but uh, you don't even have a bucket. Where's your bucket, Jesus? Where's your bucket? Like, how are you going to give me water? You can quench my thirst. You don't even have a bucket. This woman thinks her greatest need is to have physical need met. She thinks she just needs physical water, which is understandable for someone who is not thinking spiritually. But Jesus, he's not aiming to just meet the physical. Jesus sees the need is spiritual, and it's a need in which he can meet with living water. 
Whenever I interned uh, right after high school with a couple of missionaries in, in Central America, we were in the, the jungles with Mayan Indians, and we had to go down, part of our regular duties, I would have to go down and I would have to draw water up from the village well and bring that water back up to the mission station. That was hard work. So I understand this woman. I mean, she's like, Let's, oh, well, wait, hold on, that water. You say you have a way for me to never be thirsty again? Let's have it. Tell, tell, tell me about that. She's thinking physical, but Jesus, he's knowing here, wait, her need is spiritual. She just doesn't know it yet. What she does know is that she has to work for what she gets. I can tell you, drawing water is hard, hard work. But Jesus meets a spiritual need, free of cost. He gives by way of the Holy Spirit this living water that she needs that will sustain her life forever. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Now, in this paragraph in your Bible, if you look here, uh, there, there seems to be so many attempts at changing the subject. It can give you whiplash when I was reading through this and trying to figure it out. So wait, what? this conversation can be very confusing, but Jesus knows what he is doing, and we need to hang with Jesus. Jesus stays laser-focused on this woman's heart, and he's determined to reveal to her her spiritual need. For the woman, I mean, we're talking about water here. I, and now you're telling me to go get my husband? No, no give, me the, give me the water. <laughs> I don't have to come back. What is, what is this water? But the woman quickly dismisses the question about her husband. No, no, no. Maybe it's not that she just wants the water as quickly as possible. Maybe she knows that her personal life is a bit more complicated than she cares to try to explain. Jesus knows. He says to her in verse 17, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Yeah, what you've said is true. So imagine the woman's shock. Whoa, whoa, hold up a second. Again, we're thinking water, and now you ask about my husband, to which I don't have a husband, but somehow you know? You know about my relationships? So we see now, again, attempt to change the subject by the woman. Verse 19, she says this, Sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Maybe you two have felt the heat from a conversation before. It's getting a little too close, getting a little too personal, and you know just what to bring up to change the subject. For some of you in here, we might say, okay, which Walmart is the best, Fuquay or Holly Springs? Every, everybody's got their, got their, and we can talk about that. Plenty of opinions on that one. But in short, we talked about the northern kingdom being exiled by the Assyrians. Well, the southern kingdom as well. They are exiled by the Babylonians. And if you read the end of your Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, you see that now we have King Cyrus of Persia, who's since overtaken the Babylonians. He allows the people to come back and to rebuild the temple in the south. Well, what happens when they come to rebuild the temple in the south? Well, the Samaritans from up top, they come down and they're offering to help build this temple. The half-bloods. They're rejected, turned around, sent back. The Samaritans say, okay, we're going to build our own temple up at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. So again, this, this woman, she's thinking physical here. 
And her question might be legit. She might really be curious about the place where to worship. But things were getting a little heated, and it was a quick, getting a little personal, an opportunity to maybe talk about something else. Any Jew of that day would have bit and taken that bait. But Jesus is focused on our spiritual need. <laughs> the problem's not physical. Jesus knows her problem is spiritual. So he doesn't address the where of worship. No, Jesus instead addresses the who of worship. In verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We know from John's gospel that Jesus is the truth. We know from the chapter before with Nicodemus, you can only enter the kingdom if you are born of the spirit. Now, this little section here is not our main text this morning. So we're not going to stay here for long. But we do know that Jesus is not most concerned with the physical He's aiming for her spiritual need. He's addressing her spiritual need. In order to address her spiritual need, Jesus stays focused because he has to address her past head on. Her sin has to be dealt with. Verse 25 might yet again be an effort for the woman to move the conversation along, away from her private life. It's getting a little too hot. But it also might be a hint of a serious inquiry about who is this man who is before me? Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We see that Jesus heads straight for the outcast, engages the outcast, and we see that Jesus he reveals himself as Lord. He doesn't hold back. Now, it's at this moment that Jesus and the, the woman, the Samaritan woman, they would have started hearing some chattering, and they, they would look up, and they would see the disciples are coming back. Remember back from verse 8, the disciples, they had gone to town to, to buy some food, and uh, no doubt they're looking for kosher food in Samaria, and now they're coming back, and imagine their shock when they see that Jesus is not just talking to a Samaritan. I mean, they too had, had to have been talking to Samaritans, but that Jesus is talking to a woman. They are surprised. They are shocked. Jesus would dare talk to a woman. It seems the disciples were speechless, but I love that John records for us what they were thinking. This is really neat. John tells us in verse 27, just then his disciples came back and they marveled at what he, that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, who do you seek? Or what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Keep in mind, Jews wouldn't normally socialize with Samaritans. Jews wouldn't speak with a woman in public. Absolutely not. They wouldn't even speak to their wives in public. But Jesus had been speaking to a Samaritan woman who no doubt had a questionable reputation with men. I mean, based on her going to the well at a time of the day where she would likely be alone, no doubt she probably went at this time of day 
So she wouldn't be with anyone and she wouldn't have to suffer the shame that she felt whenever she was around other people who knew her business, who knew her sin, who knew her past. Even the disciples had their suspicions. But that did not keep Jesus from engaging an outcast and revealing himself to her as Lord. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many of you have met Greg Oakley, the director at TVR. For those of you going on the mission trip this week, you're going to meet Greg, more than likely, if you haven't already. And Greg, for 25 years, owned a paint store before he went to TVR. And there was a story Greg would always tell about um, with owning that paint store. Of course, he sold more than just paint. He sold things you needed to paint with, including pressure washers. You have to clean the house or the deck before you paint or stain it. And he would tell about this man who ordered a brand new pressure washer from him one time. I think it had a Honda motor. I think he mentioned it was like a $2,500 pressure washer. Nice. You know if it has a Honda motor, it's the nice one. And this man comes in to pick up his new pressure washer. It's sitting there in the store. And Greg says the man walks in and he grabbed the hammer off the shelf and he immediately knocks a big hole in the muffler of this brand new pressure washer. Right there in the store. Hasn't even left the store. And the man takes a hammer and knocks a hole in the pressure washer. Of course, Greg says, what are you doing? And the man gives his reasoning. He wants his machine to be so loud that it wakes up the whole neighborhood and that they would hear it and they would have to come see for themselves a house being cleaned. He wanted them to hear. He wanted them to come and see. Pretty smart. The Samaritan woman, she had heard Jesus. She had seen Jesus. She was wondering, can this truly be the Messiah? She can't help but go and tell others so that they too can come and they can see and they can hear. Meeting Jesus cannot be kept private. Clearly, meeting Jesus, it cannot be kept private. All of a sudden, we see this woman's heart. It's being moved. Finally, it's being shifted from being most concerned with the physical. No more talk about the water and the well. No, she's beginning to see her need for this living water that Jesus offers. Jesus, who's still probably waiting on that drink he asked for, is sitting there, and the woman leaves. She couldn't wait to go tell others about Jesus. She knew she needed to go. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I would have been so with the disciples on this one. I'm usually the last one to get a joke. I typically don't even know when a joke is being told until it's too late. I get this honest from my dad as how, how he is, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I've learned to live with it. But we saw that Jesus, his talk of living water, it didn't register with a Samaritan woman. And now Jesus' talk about food, it clearly does not register with the disciples. Just as the woman wondered, how's Jesus going to give me water when he doesn't have a bucket? We see the disciples are clearly puzzled by how Jesus received nourishment and he doesn't have any groceries. What's going on here? This is what we're getting at here. This is what I believe Jesus is getting at here. And John wants us to know 
Why have we looked at this whole passage as a whole? I think it's so that we can see, and I want you to see, that Jesus is saying to us, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not about the physical. It's not about the physical. I want you to look deeper. We're talking about the spiritual here. Life is more than physical. It is also spiritual. Sure, drink your water, but you're going to be thirsty again. Go ahead, eat, eat, eat your food, but you're going to be hungry again. But you can drink the water I give, and you will never thirst again. You won't want ever again. You can eat the food that I give you, and you will have all that you need for all of eternity. Jesus is saying, let's look deeper here. He's not saying go home and clean out your pantries and empty out your fridges. But Jesus is daring to invite us today to become compelled, to be convinced, to be consumed, to live not for ourselves, but to live boldly for him. Jesus is daring us to prioritize the spiritual over the physical, to follow him, to prioritize his agenda over our agenda, to prioritize eternity over today. Stop looking at just the physical. Look at the spiritual. Verse 35, do not say there, do you not say, Jesus is saying there yet four months, then comes the harvest. He's asking the disciples, look, then I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The time to tell others about Jesus is now. The time to tell others about Jesus is now. Look up. The fields are white for harvest. Growing up in school, whenever I was given an opportunity to write a paper on what I wanted to write about, there were only two options in my mind, Bear Bryant or Babe Ruth. Most of you probably know who Bear Bryant is. I'm sure all of you know who Babe Ruth is. Well, when writing about Bear Bryant, I learned a lot of history about the University of Alabama, one of which is why they are called the Crimson Tide. I still get asked all the time why they are called the Crimson Tide. Well, back in the day, newspaper columnists, when they would report on the game, they would refer to the players as being so big and so numerous that they looked like a Crimson Tide pouring out onto the field. So if I were in Alabama and I were with a bunch of buddies and we're waiting for the game to start, and I'd say, well, the game's not for another hour, but here comes the tide. We'd all know what's happening. Here, come, here they come. <laughs> They're getting ready to warm up. It's on. It's about to be on. Jesus saying to his disciples, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Look and see that the fields are white for harvest. I believe if we were there with Jesus that day, we would have looked up with the disciples and we would have noticed in the distance a white harvest. The Samaritans mentioned in verse 30 who were coming, I believe we would see them in their usual white robes making their way toward Jacob's well so that they could meet Jesus. It might be common knowledge for everyone then that it takes, well, four months for the harvest to come. But we, the readers, and surely the disciples by now, we must know that Jesus isn't really talking about crops, is he? That's not really what he's talking about. The conversation with a Samaritan woman earlier, it led to her to go and to share her testimony and to extend an invitation for others to come 
and to see and to hear so that they too might believe a crop for eternal life. Look, the fields are white for harvest. Here they come. You might say, well, Ricky, I, I, I just don't know if I can do that. I, I don't know how I'll feel, though, if I lose my reputation. Clearly, that woman, she went to a people who knew her more than she cared to have known about her. She risked it all. Maybe you say, I don't know how I'll feel if I lose my reputation. I don't know how I'll feel if I lose my comfort and security. Maybe you say, I don't know how I'll feel if I start to lose some of my relationships. This is understandable. It truly is. It truly is. But I must say, there seems to be only one way to experience the quench of thirst that Jesus is talking about. One way to experience the nourishment. One way to experience the purpose he gives. One way to experience the joy that he tells us about in verse 36. And that is to go all in. All in. For some of you, the Lord might be calling you to tell some of your family about Jesus. Go all in. For some of you, the Lord might be calling you to tell your coworkers about Jesus. Go all in. Is it your neighbors? Then go all in. Maybe the Lord is even calling you to tell your enemies about Jesus. Go all in. For some of you in here, especially younger ones, the Lord might be calling you to share the gospel through the local church, to preach. Go all in. We'll help you. The Lord might be calling you to serve a parachurch organization like TWR, TVR, or Crew, or Campus Outreach, all of which are represented in our church, go all in. The fields are white for harvest. Whether the Lord is leading you to share the gospel in Anger or Argentina, or Lillington, or Libya, or Fuquay, or France, wherever the Lord is leading you, go all in. The fields are white for harvest. Finally, verse 39. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that I believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. In verse 43, for after two days, he departed to, for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Like this Samaritan woman, maybe some of you here this morning, you're like, ah, you know, I'd rather not have my past brought up either. That's how she was. Maybe some of you feel that the challenges you face in this life, the physical challenges, are so great you feel blinded to the spiritual truth. Notice here that we don't know the Samaritan woman's name. I imagine it doesn't matter. I mean, she's a new believer. She's now a follower of Christ. She has a new life now, and you can too. Her past is gone, and yours can be too. She is forgiven, and you can be too. Jesus, he left Judea. He left a place where he had no honor in the eyes of the Pharisees, the Jewish elites. And he's headed to a place, Galilee, where he's been known for a long time. There too, he will have no honor. Yeah, they're ready to welcome him only because they want to see more signs and get more from him. 
it won't last. One thing all the Jews could agree on, that is the Samaritans were outcast. And that's where Jesus went. And that's where Jesus was welcomed. That's where Jesus was invited to stay. And I love it. He stayed. Yeah, I'll stay. Stayed a couple of nights. It was the Samaritans that Jesus sought out. It was the outcast. It was the Samaritans that Jesus saved. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's not just the Savior of the Jews. Jesus is not just the Savior of the ones who have it all together. Jesus isn't just the Savior of those who are most likely to succeed. No, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Believe it. Tell it. The fields are white for harvest. I imagine whenever we get to heaven, I think the harvest is likely to be a lot different than what we might expect. And I think we may know that. Like it's going to be different, but I, I just can't wait to see how surprised we really are. Five years ago, I took a, the youth group to Savannah for a mission trip. And the guy who was leading the whole trip, his name was Heath. And Heath was a pastor from the Atlanta area. And he was leading the, the, the retreat for the whole week. He had brought some people from his church to come and to serve us that week. It didn't take long for me to see that this group was a bit different. They were different than us. I mean, you can notice their haircuts, their clothes, their piercings, their tattoos. It was clear that their story was different than our story. Heath knew that. He told me one day, he said, brother, our church is made up of a bunch of misfits. He said, the Lord has called me to reach the misfits. Man, I'm grateful that Heath has obeyed the call to reach the people the Lord led him to. I thank God that the Sunday school teachers, the Awana leaders, they obeyed the call to reach me when I was young and trusting in Jesus as my Savior as a child. And now one day in heaven, along with the Samaritan woman, with the outcast, with all the misfits, together we will sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. For now, live for the spiritual in this world. Live for the spiritual in a world that only values the physical. And may we look past the physical. Let us look to the spiritual. And when we do, we will see that the fields are white for harvest. Let us pray. Father, thank you for sending people to us who told us, who risked reputation, who risk being turned away for us. Lord, let us not say no to what you have called us to. Father, help us live for the spiritual, not the physical, for your glory and yours alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.